0: Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are both convicted and encouraged, brought forth by your love in Christ Jesus for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you were an advice columnist and were to receive a letter like this, what would you say? Dear Anne, I've been married for 35 years. In all of those years, my husband has never showed any signs of affection for me. He has never brought me flowers, never given me a card, never said thank you for all of the meals that I've made. He never changed diapers, stayed up at night when our children were sick. When there was a problem with the car, he simply pointed out the number of the mechanic or told me to work on it myself. Uh, I could go on and on. Finally, I told him I was leaving him. He was shocked. But why, he said. I told him, you don't love me. Our marriage is dead. But he said, I do love you. Love me, I said. How would I ever know that you love me? He said, I told you at our wedding ceremony. If it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> is our marriage dead? Signed, trouble in Tempe. So if you received a letter like that, what would you say? Marriage is pretty well dead, isn't it? It is dead. But didn't the husband at one time, at one time say that he loved her? Isn't that sufficient? And we would say, no, it is not Sufficient, because love should move you to action. You and I know this, love should move you to action. Action is an expression of love. To love and not have an expression of love is to not love. If you recall, last week we actually covered this. If you were here, we had a reading from 1 John, 1 John. Chapter four, verses nine through 11. In this is the love of God made manifest among us, that God sent us his only son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the gospel, right? God loved us so much that he sent us what was most precious, his only Son, who bore our sins on the cross so that we would not bear the wrath of God, so that through him, through Christ Jesus, the love of God made manifest to us, we might be saved. God's love and action go hand in hand. This is not hard to comprehend. Should not then our love of God and God's love for us be expressed in our action and thus our love for one another? It's what we covered last week, that you and I are to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is one of love, love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Now, if you understand that, The book of James becomes a whole lot easier because we are going to now continue in our series of what does it mean to be a Christian? And it is about a living faith. So when we take a look at James, we're going to take a look at a faith without works is dead. Faith and works cannot be separated and faith is completed by works. That's our roadmap. That's our path for today. Now, as we go through here, I'd like to have you think about two questions. Do you have a living faith? And if you say yes, how would anyone know? Those are the questions. So let's begin with our road. Faith without works is dead. We go to our text. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, I want you to pay attention and notice how carefully James words this. He does not say if someone has true faith, he says rather, if someone says he has faith, or to clarify the intent even better, if someone claims to have truth faith, but has nothing to show for it, is that faith any good at all? Now he asks this in a rhetorical manner, right? And the answer obviously is no, that faith is not good at all. So there is a faith that he's addressing, which is much more of an intellectual assent. It is a faith that simply goes through the motions. You might come to church. You might stand and sit and move your mouth and say the proper words at the proper time. But there is a dead faith there. It is a faith that not, is not in Christ and not of Christ. You know about him, but you're not in him or of him. A faith like that, a faith that is not in Christ and of Christ, is a faith that does not save. And this is a sobering thought. What James is writing here is that there's a type of faith that doesn't do you any good. Even more pointed, there's a type of faith that does not save. Now, James brings out this point, and we want to easily dismiss James, but if you start to read in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you find this as a theme throughout. As a matter of fact, if you listen to the gospel reading from today, you also can understand that. Jesus, on the day of judgments, he's separating the sheep and goats, right? And with the sheep, he said, you have fed me. Uh, you, You have fed those in need. You have taken care of those in need enter into the kingdom. But to those who are the goats, he says this. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is not a a nice little saying. This is a saying that people want to overlook that Jesus gives. They go, oh, Jesus would never say something like that. Well, yes, in fact, he has. Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked. You did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, and notice they call him Lord, right? They say, Lord, so they recognize him as Lord. <clears throat> Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Listen, when you look through the Old Testament, you find that God is a God Of mercy, right? And another way to say mercy is loving kindness. So he has told his people all the time, you need to take care of those in need. That's the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it is reiterated. Now, James actually brings the point very close to home, because take a moment, just Look to your right and look to your left, or look around. How's that? Because I know if everybody goes that way, nobody's going to be looking. So just look around for a moment. Turn your head, swivel your heads. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? James is saying, look, the family that you're in, the brothers and sisters in Christ, if someone says to you, I am in need, I'm hungry, I have no food, and you simply say, I will pray for you, I hope you are filled what good is that? Is that loving kindness? Is that mercy? And the answer is no, right? The answer is no to that. So it is a greater thing that he is talking about, this faith. And again, Jesus, now if you take the, go- the gospel reading, Jesus expands that. He says, it's not just your family here, right? It's not even just the people here, but it's anyone. Anyone who is in need. That's the depth, the breadth, and the love of God for people. You see, if you don't have that, the point is this. Faith by itself, if it doesn't have, have works, is dead. Now, you have to remember, who's James writing to? James is writing to the Israelites, the Jews who became Christians. And remember, at that time, the Jews, the Israelites, were relying on their works alone for salvation. And it was a work, 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 work. And you had to follow all the rules exactly, and if you didn't follow all the rules exactly, was there any hope of salvation for you? But now along comes Christ Jesus and the message is that you are saved by grace. The gospel is that Jesus has done everything for you. And there is nothing that you have to do other than to receive by faith. We've covered this extensively the past few weeks Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I should almost not have it on the screen. You should be able to say it by now. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, I've used this word a couple times before, but the English have this word, gobsmacked. Right? It's like, really? This would have taken by surprise, like a spiritual two by four to the Israelites. They're saying, you mean I'm saved by faith? It's not all the works of the law, because you know what? I work really hard, and I know I fail all the time, and I can't keep the works of the law, and I'm under this burden, and I'm just crushed by it. And now in Christ Jesus, he's fulfilled everything, and by faith, I'm saved through him, by grace. Can you imagine the relief that they would have had? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's the gospel, right? right there and we we should hold fast to that but we don't we don't because our sinful nature wants to take the gospel and change it from one side to the other see the gospel is that narrow road a lot of time pictures have just the road i like this one because it is the narrow path right there's the gospel And on one side is a steep fall off. It's not just that you go a little off the road. No, it's a steep fall off to your destruction. On the other side is a steep fall off to your destruction. Because our sinful self wants to do two things. On one side, it is called easy believism. All right. I'm saved by faith. There's nothing else I have to do. So thus your faith becomes like a lazy boy or a bark-a-lounger. And you're like, I got my faith, I'm just going to sit here because I'm saved and that's it. You know people like that. They go to church, they do the thing. Uh, maybe they go to church. And um, the rest of the week they do whatever... You know, and you you see them, the partying, the gambling, and all sorts of other vices. And they go, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I got faith in Christ. Even churches are like that. Some churches become like cruise liners full of all these barca loungers. That's called easy believism. But the other side is you make good works into the law. That's called legalism. So just as the Israelites were bound by the law... I know a lot of you fall off on this side. A lot of you fall off on this side because what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, you gotta be good, right? You gotta be nice to people. You have to have people across the street. All of those things. As a matter of fact, some of you might have grown up with parents who were very legalistic. And they said, You must do this and this and this and this and this. And boy, was the joy of the Lord ever on their face. And no wonder people become sour on Christianity because they fall off on that side. And you know, one side that leads to destruction, and the other side leads to destruction. It is the narrow road of the gospel. Our faith is made alive by the gospel and fully trust in what Jesus has done, period. You got to put a period on that. Do not ever mess with that, because if you do, you fall off on one side or the other. Our faith does not trust in our good works, yet because of our faith, which is made alive by the gospel, because even our faith is a gift of God, we are moved. To do good works. This is clear throughout Scripture. This is certainly clear in the New Testament. You know, we've been covering Ephesians chapter two, eight, nine, and uh, eight through nine. What does verse ten though say? For we are His workmanship. We are God's workmanship, made for good works. So Paul has just written, yes, you are saved by grace through faith. It's nothing that you've done, and God made you to do good works. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Corinthians, which I often use this as a benediction, by the way. Therefore, my brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the work of the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is what James is writing. This is what was reiterated by Paul. This is what has been reiterated by Jesus. This has been what has been reiterated throughout Scripture. And yet, and yet especially in seminaries, you get other pastors talking together, man, there's a theological hotbed of conversation, works, good faith, good works. Even in Bible study, in our our, uh, study of Ephesians, we spent almost a full hour on works because struggling with this. But the point is that faith and works, good works, can never be separated But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So let me demonstrate something to you. Let's say you have a coin, right? A quarter. Picture of a quarter there. It's got the front, it's got the back, got the side. Now... If you had the front of the coin, but the back was completely smooth, there was no markings on it whatsoever. Would it still be a quarter? Could you take? Let's do this. Could you take it to the bank? Would the bank accept that? They go, no, it's incomplete, right? And the same thing. If the front was completely smooth, the back, but the back was there, it would be incomplete it would not really be a quarter. So the, the thing is, even if you try to split it down the center, right? Even if you take the side view here and you very carefully take a little saw and saw it so you still have good works over there and you have faith over there, is it a quarter? And no, because those two things are separated. In the same manner, you cannot separate faith from good works. You can't even show your faith apart from your good works. What did Jesus say? He said, let your light so shine before others that they see what? They see your good works and give glory to who? Your father who is in heaven. So If you take a look at somebody's life, and the actions they take, you can get a pretty good idea of their faith. Now, you might not know everything, and there certainly are differences, but you can certainly get an inkling to who they are. Jesus, when he was talking about false prophets, he said this, "'Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You can recognize them by their fruits.'" Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You understand, you can recognize a tree by its fruit, right? So, the problem is, with false prophets, they kind of sound Christianese. And they've got the right words to go with it. But by their works, you would know that they're false. Let me just give you a personal example. So uh, I uh, one time met a man in his uh, late 20s or so. Met him at a yard sale uh, uh, back in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I said I was a pastor and all that. Uh, so he said, you know, I'd love to be able to meet with you. I said, well, sure. Right. And it it come out that he'd lived a little bit rougher life. So at our first meeting, found out a little bit more about his life. But the main point that he wanted to get across is, would I be a character reference for him for his parole officer or his parole hearing? That's why he wanted to meet with me. Now, I declined because I didn't know him. So I found out more about his life and uh, how he was raised. But he had been in drugs. He'd been in gangs. He'd done all of that sort of stuff. And he knew the Bible. He actually knew the Bible. So I said, well, could we meet again? Schedule another meeting, a couple meetings. So we did. And he didn't show up. So I called him. I even went to his house. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, sorry about that. We'll try it again. Never happened. Later on, I found out he was in jail. And he was in jail not only on drugs, but child pornography. So I went to jail and met with him. And even then, though he could say some right words, nothing. So do you understand the distinction here that we're making? You can say right words, but does your life conform to your faith? See, when somebody plays the Christian card on me, I'm always a little bit suspicious. When they start off with any argument, oh, I'm Christian, and then they go into something, I, I have yellow flags going off, yellow lights going off in my head, cautionary, because now they're professing something, but does their life, do their actions, actually even can be consistent with that? So, faith without works is dead, and now faith is completed by works. Okay, this is a section of Scripture that has caused a lot of consternation among people for hundreds of years. Theologians, people like to pit Paul against James, and you often see this with the, the uh, Protestants using Paul and the Catholics using James, as if there is a conflict between the two. But you have to understand who they were writing to. You see, James was writing to people who were dead in their faith. And thus, he makes a particular emphasis. Paul was writing to people who still wanted to follow the law to be saved. And thus, there was a certain emphasis. Listen, when Paul was writing about Abraham, that Abraham was justified by faith, it actually goes back to Genesis chapter 15. So if you want to mark that somewhere in your Bible... That's a good place. Genesis chapter 15, starting with verse 1 through 6. I'm just going to do 5 and 6. And he, God, brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, let me ask you a question. Pop quiz. Did Abraham do any work so that he was declared righteous? You're all like, oh, that's a trick quiz. No, he didn't. Did it say that he did anything after that? No, he believed, and God declared him righteous, not because he was so good, but because of faith. This is what Paul is writing about. Now, when James writes, he uses the same story of Abraham. He focuses more on the uh, sacrifice of Isaac. But he actually points back to what I just read in Genesis. And he says that scripture was fulfilled when Abraham was to sacrifice his son. You see, Abraham was already declared righteous. And the work that he did, which is to follow God's command, showed his righteousness. It didn't make him righteousness. It showed that he was righteous. His faith was made complete. His justification was made manifest. There's no conflict here. Let, so let me give you a personal example. When I was in my mid-late twenties, I really started to come alive in my faith. Until then, I would have been—I I would have been easy believism. Actually, that's where I would have fallen off, easy believism. But my faith started to come alive in my late mid-late twenties. And as my faith grew, the disconnect between my life and my actions grew. So one night, I was watching one of those long infomercials. Do you remember any of the? Do you remember this one from Christian Children's Fund? This guy would come on here, and he'd always have a child. And he'd talk about, for the price of a cup of coffee a day, you could sponsor a child. And they talked about all the good work that were, they were doing. And one night, I didn't turn it off. I watched the entire thing. And I thought, you know, he's right. If I actually have faith, I should do something about it. And so I sponsored a child. And I've sponsored three children now because they graduate by the time they're about 18. So since my late 20s to my current age. If you're doing math, you can figure out my age. But um, and do I do that to earn favor with God? Tell me, is sponsoring a child going to make me any more saved? Does not, does it? Why do I do it? Because God first loved me, gave his son for me. And with that faith, I know that God made me for these things. That's why I do it. That's the motivation. See, I know some of you listening to this message today are going to feel guilty. And you're going to use it like falling off the cliff and make it into another law. Oh, I must not have enough faith, so I better do these things. Right? And you've fallen off on one side. But it is the love of God in the gospel that makes your faith alive. And growing in that love, you are made for good works. It's actually that simple. So I've got three questions for you this morning. Oh, actually, here. Sorry, I forgot a quote by Luther. Luther said, we are, we are saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves us is never alone. Isn't that a nice quote? We are saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves us is never alone. So three questions for you. Is your faith alive in the love of Christ? How would anyone know? What side of the gospel road do you tend to fall off? Easy believism, legalism. And number three, through your faith in the love of Christ, what good works are you now called to do? Now, I want to point out here that some of you, and I know, because of physical limitations, can't do all of the physical things. But yet, there are things that you can do. You can actually call up and encourage people who need encouragement. You could probably still write a card and send a card to those who need encouragement. You could mentor some younger person in their walk of faith. I mean, there's all sorts of things. The question is, are you praying for those opportunities? Because God made you for those good works. So you should pray for those opportunities. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great love that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We ask for an increase in our faith and our love for you. And we know that can only come through the Holy Spirit. So increase our faith, increase our love, and let us follow Christ and his commands and his love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joy ccc.com